Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to part two of Off the Beaten Track podcast with Adam Perry. Hope you've enjoyed part one. I presume that's why you're here at part two. If you've come straight to part two before listening to the first bit, check your head. What's that all about? Go and listen to part one because it's great. Anyway, let's get back on with part two. Enjoy. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And... What I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year, and they're based in Southend-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music, and they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable, and water-based inks. And in addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out. Because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beaten Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. It made stew with it. Right. Where, were we? Where, were we? Where were we? Where were we? We was about to talk about um, 
Duran Duran, yeah. and then we went side off on a tangent. Sidetracked into people leaving shows. <laughs> and not, oh, yeah, madness leaving Madstock and not getting home. Yeah, no, and yeah. he was talking about uh, Jesus Jones. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, they come off stage, uh, and, and Alan hasn't got his bass on him anymore. He or his got, shirt. Or his shirt, or his laminate. It looks like he just crawled on stage, and he's about to stage dive. Yeah. And um, so the security guy's like, whoa, 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 where are you going? He's like, I'm off backstage, back to the dressing room. Just come off stage. And just didn't believe him. And everybody else was that side of the stage. So he got thrown, he got thrown out. And he had to walk back. Um, I, I think he had his bass with him, I think. But I, I remember him saying he had his bass. He had to walk back up. He lived in Hangar Lane roundabout. Yeah. There's a parade of, flat, a parade of shops yeah. on the roundabout. And him and Jerry lived in the flat above that. Yeah. Uh, you know. And um, <laughs> so he had to walk back up that, whatever that road, down, round the, round the, um, North Circular, back to Hangar Lane with his base in his hand, no top on, back to his flat above Hangar Lane Cheese Station. Well, he couldn't get back in? Yeah, having just played Wembley Stadium. Oh, that's fucking awful. Yeah, and listen to the rest of it on the radio. <laughs> it's so amazing. <laughs> but the way he tells it is way better than me. It's yeah. such a brilliant story. Them, them two, Alan and Jerry, have got the most amazing stories. They are just so funny. So, I mean, all that band are great. Yeah. But those two are just like, you know, well, we're, I'm, sure, I'm sure we're going to get on to Jesus yeah. Jones shortly. Um... Uh, all right, for track five. For track five. Uh, do you know what? I'm not. I'm going to go back to Duran Duran. Oh, yeah. Because not that I'm a big Duran fan, but yeah. I think, like, if I had, you know, probably the best of Duran Duran would be... Uh, <laughs> best of Duran Duran. <laughs> would be fucking amazing because... It would. It's perfect pop, isn't it? Yeah, it is perfect pop. And they look super cool still. Yeah. Like, how are they doing that? What's the best on John Taylor? Yeah. Mate, what a fucking he? dude he is, yeah, man. Still. Like, yeah. I early think, 90s now. I always think that like, <laughs> Simon Lee Bond looks like he's trying a bit too hard, but I think John Taylor just looks like, effortlessly cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, incredible. Uh, yeah, I love Duran Duran. Yeah. Absolutely loved him. Rio was amazing. Um, but again, it was just, it wasn't like you became a massive Duran Duran fan. Oh, I didn't. Yeah. He's just here around. Yeah. He's just one of those bands he's picked up because he's just seen them on a yeah. top shop. It, and, it, and it was that. Yeah. I do remember, like, just having, like, the first Nair album and that had Please Please Tell Me Now on it. And I remember yeah. thinking, God, that's good. And I do remember, like, buying the 7-inch of Reflex and thinking, oh, this is just amazing. Yeah, amazing. And, like, yeah. And seeing that video, that's a live video, isn't it? Yeah. And And... Le Bon's just owning it. Is that the live video where there's a, a like a lot of like a tidal wave of water gets poured over the audience? Is it that one? I can't remember. I think so. I know there's lots of shots of like Le Bon like sort of jumping and stuff yeah. like that. It's all really overblown, obviously. The fashion was amazing. Like they just look super cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah incredible. And then you can just tell they were going to take America by absolute yeah. storm and become the biggest band in the States. And, yeah. and, and that whole British explosion that happened at that point was another one which is huge, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, I guess They all not. come in waves, those explosions. I yeah. think Jason's point, I think he was talking to you about is that we'll come on to Jesus Jones in a minute, but that's a, the British invasion that never quite gets... It's um, mate. Oh. It's coverage. You know, it, yeah, it's, uh, it's the forgotten about invasion, but it's just as successful as all, as all the other ones. And I... I... I'll make a note because it's something that I constantly talk about is that era being overlooked. So yeah, we'll get on to we'll that. Get on to it. Yeah. But let's 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 talk track five for the time being, um, which is a song that soundtrack your clubbing years. Yeah. And then, and when I look back now, 
I love parts of this band. So I love the drummer, Chad mm -hmm. Smith. And I'm lucky enough, because I play, play Pearl drums and he plays Pearl, to have done a few years ago when, when A were doing really well, to do a few of those, what they call clinics or whatever. Yeah. You know, we go around and, and he was ace. He was always ace. And the first time we did Top of the Pops, which was a massive moment for me, because just talking about, you know, growing up and you know, that was a, a seminal show. Um, so when we were told we were doing Top of the Pops, we couldn't believe it. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you're going on top of the pops. I know. We right. could not believe it. And we were doing, like, the chart show and Pepsi chart yeah. and uh, CD UK and all this stuff. They're all great. They're not top of the pops, Not the pops. Are, and then you get told on Tuesday you're doing it on Thursday. And we had a gig in Exeter. Yeah. We were on the, on the Nothing Tour. So we said to the label, there's no way we're going to cancel the gig. And of course, it's been on sale and it's sold out. So we got a helicopter um, down to the gig after doing top of the pops. Nice. And, um, and that was the first time we'd sort of, you know, flown in a helicopter from Battersea. But it was great, you know, leaving Top of the Pops, getting in a limo to Battersea Power Station, getting in a helicopter. Mark flew it for a little bit over Dartmoor. Uh, they let him fly it for some reason. And then we had a searchlight at the bottom of it, which was cool. And then we landed in Exeter, did a gig. Got That's back. living, right? Yeah, got back in the helicopter, came back to London. And um, had more promo to do the next day. And then I yeah. think the next day was a London show. Then a helicopter pilot turned up to the after show. Like, this is cool. We've got a helicopter pilot turning up now. Uh, so it's a record no. label. But we, yeah, but so to make it even cooler, we're, we knew a guy called Bill Ramey who was Smashing Pumpkins tour manager and Reggie and Machines tour manager. And me and Jason hung out with him before and, and, and various snowboard trips we'd been on. And friends of ours were friends of those bands. So we got to sort of know him. And, uh, and then we saw him at Top of the Pops and he was tour managing um, Chili Peppers. And, they, and By the Way was out, which I think is a great song. So we were on our stage here, and they, like we are now, they were opposite us. And in between, you've got like 50 kids in a TV audience and a, mm -hmm. the TV warm-up guy. So as you get ready, we, we said we wouldn't play unless we could play live. So we played nothing live. And so we're getting warmed up and just getting into it and stuff where the, where the cameras are off air. And they're doing the same thing. And they're noodling as well, but Flea's noodling with one of the best, best bass players in music yeah. and one of the best drummers in music. Yeah. You know, definitely. Who's playing guitar at that point? Uh can't remember. It wasn't. It wasn't. Um, oh, it was a guy that joined after David Vara. Um, I can't remember his name. Yeah. Um, it wasn't John Shanty. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah. So by the way, I don't know. Maybe it was. I'm not sure. Um, so we we sort of started doing a bit of call and response stuff, and then it ended up in this like enormous jam. With this red cheese. Yeah, and we're just we're jamming with the and I'm playing drums with Chance Smith, who I've met previously. Uh, and they're looking at us and we're looking at them and it's like this is can't, this can't be happening it's amazing. this is incredible and yeah. by the way it's the first time I'd heard it and I think that song's great yeah. some of their stuff makes me cringe yeah. like you know really does um, my mates my, my mate Ben who works for me and Jason he hates them so much he won't have a CD in his car in case he crashes it's like you know people say you've got to put some clean pants on in case you get run over yeah like that. He won't have it. Yeah, in case I, in case I have a crash and, and there's a crime scene and someone goes through my car, can't have that. But at, but at that point, going to feet first and probably the toothbrush. Yeah. It there were there were songs that just filled the floor. Yeah. Like doom, ba doom, doom. You know, yeah. came on and you know, give it away. It was like yeah. ga, 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 boom, ba, do, 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 yeah. do, into the riff, and everyone was suddenly just jumping them down. And then yeah. there's obviously the wonder stuff in Jesus Jones and EMF and. And, and there was, um, what's the other song? Um, Jump Around was yeah, massive. Of course. And that, you know, our, when you say club land, our club's land was just. Alternative clubs. Yeah, alternative clubs. Maybe yeah. Feet First. Go yeah. with Ian Baker, 
yep. Jesus Jones to feet first every Tuesday night, go yep. to the, the pub around the corner on the dole at the time, have much money, getting free because of those feet first laminates. Yep, Ian, got, Ian got us. Uh, and then um, and just slowly get pissed and just go nuts. Yeah. yeah. And um, every Tuesday that failed for three, four yeah. years. And that was at Coco, wasn't it? it Coco, was Camden Palace yeah, at Camden the Palace. time. Yeah. Well, uh, and um, then, yeah, always wanted to play Camden Palace. And then we got, me and Jason had an opportunity to join Utah Saints through Ian. We got to know Utah Saints really well because they're from Leeds. And we nearly joined that band um, on like percussion and keyboards or something. It didn't quite happen. But I remember seeing them and meeting them there. Because there's always a really good band that played at Feet First, wasn't yeah. there? And um, I remember seeing them there. And that was great. Uh, I remember Jason being thrown out when some riot girl band, I can't remember who it was, were playing and he was just stood in front of them, just doing that to them for ages. He got thrown out. I remember being thrown out with James Atkin and Mary Biker uh, out of the side door. We got thrown out quite a lot. Yeah. And then Jason banged his head. Oh, you know those little, those little corridors to get yeah. up the stairs and stuff? Banged his head on one of those low hanging ceilings and yeah. had to go off in a hospital, <laughs> ambulance. There's always something happening down there. Yeah. Was, I loved it. I loved feet first. Then you get an illegal cab back to East Finchley for four quid. Brilliant. It'll stop at a petrol station because he had yeah. no fuel in his car and it's four quid and scrambling around to see who can put 50p in the kit for it because you had no money. Yeah. yeah, it's brilliant. That was... I got to, I got to play Feet First twice, and it was the best gigs I've ever done. Yeah, one, we, once we, we we managed to play it on our own, and we supported we supported menswear. Oh, did you? And, <laughs> uh, but it was like we never played big gigs. We weren't successful at all. But it was like we somehow got the gig there, yeah. and it was like this is the best thing we've ever done. It oh, was like you, it was amazing. So used to seeing big bands there. Yeah, completely. We see Swerve Driver there, thinking fuck Swerve Driver. I'm yeah. playing here. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, we got a record deal and, and that was one of the first gigs we played was Feet yeah. First and we could not believe we were, yeah. we were playing Feet First. We made a video there, I think. But let's talk about Give It Away. Yeah. Because as much as I've, like you, there's, there's songs by the Chili Peppers. And by the way, I do think it's a really good record. Mm -hmm. However, I still DJ in alternative clubs. I've heard that too much now. And his, his vocals just like the, the, like the, the verse... Like, yum, dum, diddy, yum, yeah, like, it is Vic and Bob club singer. Oh, it really like, is. In a menu, it's just throwing the word California yeah. every five minutes. <laughs> from California, you mate. Know, no idea from LA. You never mention it in every bloody song. There's some people, though, that defy that, that, stuff, right? And I look at Perry Farrell and I look at Anthony Kiedis. The amount of stuff they must have had in their veins, up their nose. Yeah. What, they both look fucking incredible, uh, it don't they? It seems to keep the weight off, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like, they look absolutely fucking amazing. Like, I watch a lot of UFC, and, and Anthony Kiedis is always cage side, and they just cut to him, and you just think, how old's Anthony Kiedis? He's got to be like 56. Yeah. Yeah. Looks fucking incredible. I know, it's nuts. Like, Perry for all the same. Yeah. I know. I don't know what's going on. Definitely not working for me. That's just having natural call, isn't it? Yeah, yeah right. exactly. He's got natural cool. Yeah, we once we were in the, we used to go to LA. We we're going to LA quite a lot at the moment because me and Jason got a, a business stuff there. But we used to go all the time, obviously mm. when we're in when in LA, and um, we always used to stay at the hotel called the Grafton on Sunset. And then just down the road is a, a little Mexican place. It's not not there anymore called Paquita Mass, which is a it's a chain of Mexican restaurants. But they do this amazing tostada bowl, like a corn fried corn bowl that Oaxaca do now mm -hmm. it's a Sonora salad yep. if you're looking for an alternative yeah go get the Sonora salad in Oaxaca yeah it's the same thing and we're in there once and Flea was in there and he's on the phone to his daughter and 
he was talking to his daughter. No, she, she was with him. He's talking to his daughter about how he's going to come to a ballet recital, but she's got to come to the first show at the uh, the, um, the forum. Yeah. However, it is. Just stood behind Flieger. This is unbelievable. Yeah. We all, whatever he had, we'll have. And then I, I remember Mark saying, it's good enough for Flieger, it's good enough for me. And that became like a saying. Oh, yeah. brilliant. It's, it's, it's like McDonald's, it's cheap. Yeah. You know, it's not quite taco, taco hell. Yeah. But it's, um, yeah, it's like seven quid for a, an amazing meal. It's like, Flieger's in here, how cool is that? Yeah. So what I want to touch on as well is um, the Blood Hang Gang. Yeah. Because you're... Uh, 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 are you still the, the, the drummer in the Blood Gang? What, what, yeah. What's the score I with Blood so. Gang at the moment? You're, you're about to hit on my only story. Okay. My, my Russia story. But oh, I'm going to get it. You might not have time for it. Come on, come did on, that, because did, did I've Dan been Carter teased by this. Dan's yeah. not told me, but he right. said, if, as, as, did, as he told you, I said, no, your brother mentioned it didn't do it. So I want, I want to hear it. Well, yeah, so that, that's why the Blood Gang is probably not going like it should have been going because okay. of what happened in Russia. I speak to Jim almost daily. Yeah. Um, which is great. In fact, me and Jason have got a podcast we're putting together, as you know, and, yep. and Jim just did some eye dance for us. He sent them over yesterday. Oh, amazing. And it's so great. It's just Instead of introducing me as Adam, he's introduced me as Slow Bean. I don't know why. And he's just made this name for me. It's like Jason Perry and Slow Bean. So... Yeah. But it's <laughs> amazing. Is the Russia story explains why you're in the Blood End Gang? No, it explains why we're not touring anymore. Right, well, let's get to that. But first yeah. of all, how did you get that gig? We, um, A, became best pals of them, really. So we, right. uh, we, um, we toured them for a year and a half, um, right when Hooray for Boobies came out. Mm-hmm. So they were already big uh, and could already, you know, handle a decent audience in any city in the world. Yeah. And then that album came out and just blew them up. Mm-hmm. And we were, we were there in the midst of it. So we, our first European tour was supporting the Blood Hound Gang throughout Europe. So it's the first time we had a tour bus and been to Vienna and yep. well, I mean Luxembourg and whatever, everywhere. And I remember looking at the um, the the, the um, calendar, thinking this is incredible. We could go to every place I ever wanted to go in this one tour. Yeah. And, and we we our first show with them was at the Meltberg in Amsterdam, and uh, and we instantly became mates within seconds. We're all like, this yeah. is this is great. And um and Jason probably told you the story of how we got that show. Um, is literally Jim just couldn't be bothered to put he'd get sent some CDs of support bands that might be up for up the tour he'd be driving around Pennsylvania in his Jeep and I can I can you know imagine what he's doing because I've been doing that, that journey with him many times goes to Dunkin Donuts in the morning for his coffee and then he goes to Janie's for his sandwich then Starbucks for his coffee in the afternoon and he won't ever change and um and he, he, he can't be bothered to put some CDs on, so he just rifled through and, and saw that we were the first one because it's, it's in alphabetical order. Right. And he just found it was mad. He said, well, I have that band A. And that's how we got the tour. And then someone will have played the CD and thought, yeah. oh, okay, this makes sense. Yeah. And, um, and we had Monkey Kong out at the time, um, which was doing really well for us in Germany. A song called I Love Lake Tahoe was a bit of a, bit of a hit for us. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, so we did we started that, was that a tour. hit in the UK. We yeah. were playing that in the indie clubs. Yeah, it did well. Yeah. Mm. But in Germany it's everywhere. Mm. And um so yeah, we, we were we were coming up and they were blowing up and um that tour went from started from theatres, small clubs into theatres, by the end of it, it's full blown arenas. Uh, and then we did two or three US tours of them as well. Um so it was amazing. So we spent easily two years, a year and a half, yeah. they all came to our weddings. Um, we just became busy mates with them all. Yeah. And then about three years after A had got dropped, me and Jason and Dan were writing 
and I was managing Jason and Dan and a guy called Julian as a writing collective. And that was my first sort of foray into management. So I, I got into business and sort of put drums aside. And then one day, Ifan, the tour manager, called me up and said, Billy's just quit the drummer in San Francisco. Can you come and do our arenas on this next tour? Um, for Hefty Fine, it's a three-week arena tour. Like, really? You want me in the band? Why would you want me? Like, we know some good, like, and I think Tommy Lee had auditioned. Fuck, and, really? Yeah, stuff like that. But it was too expensive. Like, like you're yeah. too expensive. You're yeah. way cheaper than Tommy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, I'm not even the best drummer in A. It's like, why, why would you want me in the band? <laughs> I don't know, four fills. And, um, yes, yeah, so, so I joined the band for this three-week arena tour, and then it, that tour lasted uh, it seemed to last three years. Yeah. It just went nuts. Every festival you've ever heard of. And Dan joined as well? Not at that point. Yeah. Uh, Dan joined when we played Soundwave in 2009 in Australia. Yeah. Dan joined for that. So we did three, four warm-up shows in the US and then and then Soundwave. And then I got ill in a hospital and had a suspected meningitis. So I was in hospital in Sydney. And, yeah, that was a nasty time. Uh, but yeah, that, that tour was great, that Soundwave tour. Incredible. Um, so Dan joined for that and then stayed joined. Yeah. And then and then we, yeah, various other shows and tours, many US stuff, um, two European, European tours as well, lots of festivals. And then five years ago, we did a, a big tour of Europe. Um, uh, and, the, and they were all headlining festivals everywhere, especially in Eastern Europe where the band is huge. And then we've been to Russia at this point right, seven times. And then, and then, um, yeah, the last. So here's the story. So I'll try and I'll try and slow it down. If Jared Hennigan told you, it, he really goes to town. Right. Um, and um, yeah, it's quite amazing. So we, we we did we played in Odessa in the Ukraine. The best tour I've ever done in the Bloodhound Gang. Everyone got on well. We had beautiful travel buses and hotels. Yeah. And uh, everyone was getting on really well. The gigs are fantastic. Just a lot of fun. But not like it'd been before, where it's a lot of fun and you think you're gonna get arrested every night. There was no, there's no dangerous element to this tour. Whereas when I first joined the band, I was like, oh, holy shit! Yeah, you need to keep your head down here. Oh really? Oh yeah, every night something's happening somewhere. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's not. It's like the Motley Crue's novel. Oh right. Yeah, it's nuts. And um, yeah, but in a fun way. Yeah. And. Um, but this tour wasn't wasn't like that. It, everyone's sort of grown up a bit now and, and yeah. stuff. So got to Odessa and it was a weird gig. It was like a filling gig, which we often do in between two big festivals. Yeah. And, and it's the last day before we go home. Um, so we play this gig. It's in this beach club on the beach in the Ukraine called Odessa. It's called the Ibiza Beach Club. And I, and I've got this thing to swim in every sea in the world. So I was like, oh, Black Sea, and I go for a swim. Came out drinking champagne. The promoter's putting a lobster on champagne and stuff, and it's barbecue on the beach. Like, this is great. What a great yeah. place to be. Uh, and then we did the gig, and the gig was all right, but in, I don't know, song four, my snare went through. So my drum tech comes over and tries to give me the... I give him the old one. He, he, he picks me the new one up. Even our monitor guy came over to help. It's a tiny gig. It's like a, it wasn't a Bloodhound Gang gig. It's like yeah. a weird show. Yeah. Uh, uh, but during that, when my snare was down, Jared's talking to the crowd to fill in time. And as I say, there was like 500 people there, Max, outdoors. The loads of sort of Russian oligarch-looking dudes with hookers in the VIP bit, all sort of looking at us, be bewildered. And in the pit, there was like 50 Bloodhound Gang fans. But the rest looked like VIPs. Yeah. You know, a lot of money to yeah. get into this thing. Yeah. And then there's some Russian dude that's 
doing that to us all night, giving us a middle finger to Jim. So Jim starts mouthing him off and, and, and giving him, you know, insults and yeah. he's giving them back. And it all got a little bit frosty. Yeah. And I remember after the gig, I told my husband, we've got to get out of here. It's, it's not a nice atmosphere. Something's a bit off. Right. So we did. So we all piled in a little minivan, went to the hotel. Next day, flew to Moscow for the final show. And flying into Moscow and thinking, this is going to be cool. We're yeah. playing like a Reading Festival type yeah. size gig on the beach, headlining it. Massive festival. So we flew into Moscow and then got another flight to this place, which is down near, I can't remember the name of the town, but it's near Sochi, like down in the south. Again, on the Black Sea in a resort town. And, and we got, got to the hotel and the hotel was like a water park, like you'd get in Orlando, but with nobody in it. And we all had these like chalets so we, we just spent the entire day swimming and playing water polo with a bunch of Russian dudes we'd met. An, an amazing day. It was great. Just sitting in the sun, flying home tomorrow. Uh, and, but we noticed there was like film crews around and people coming up and taking photos of us and stuff. And the band are big there. Um, so you get recognised and stuff. Not me, but, you know, Jared and Jim, definitely. Yeah. And um, so that wasn't un- unusual. But it just, I don't know, there's still something a bit weird about the whole thing. And then we get to the, into the minivan... And all I can remember was, as we're driving in the minivan to this gig, which is by the, on the coast, there's some conversation with the local rep and the translator about the flag. Because on the rider, there's a, fl- there's a flag. You have, the, the promoter has to produce a flag every night. And Jared does something with it every night. Puts it around his shoulder or whatever, and people cheer. People love flags in Europe. Mm-hmm. No one gives a f- monkey's ear. And... Um, so there's something about you can't use a flag. I just ignored it. I was like, never mind. Listen to Russian. And it got to, got, got to the gig. And then we had to sign this piece of paper that they put in front of us. It says we wouldn't mention the word homosexual because the word is banned in that area. Because Putin is from that area and the word is banned. So we said no. There's no way we did, we're signing a document that is homophobic in its origin. All this stuff. So the promoter starts coming and begging with us. If you don't sign this, you won't, they won't allow you to play. And by the way, we need to go to this press conference. And then all the lights got turned off in the port cabin. So that was weird. All our lights got turned off. And then he looked out the window and all the other port cabins had power. And then we got put in. Um, suddenly the promoter comes in and goes, we've got to do a press conference right now. You need to apologise for what you did yesterday in the Ukraine with the flag. I'd never heard of anything. Uh, no idea what was going on. But I thought to myself, sit at the end of the press conference, at the end of the table... So it's like this all microphones, you know, massive media, and try and kind of distance yourself from this for some reason. I don't know. And me and Dan had no idea what was happening. Uh, and um, so we got into this press conference tent, and it was packed, like 100, 200 photographers and media and, and journalists. And Jared had to apologise for putting a Russian flag down his pants and throwing it into the crowd. And he's like, you know, typical Hennigan style. Yeah, but first we're going to toast with uh, Jägermeister and well, you guys have vodka and like all this, like making shtick out of it. But some people were laughing and playing along and some people were angry. And then they got even angrier. And, and that press conference sort of ended in a little bit of a kind of, I don't know, it was weird, it ended in a bit of an ang- angry kind of vibe to it. Got back in the dressing room, I went into catering, sat in catering, and then the next thing, I told my knocked me on the shoulder and said, no, I'd walk around, I'd walk around the venue, around the festival. I'd been on the side of stage watching Jimmy Eat World or whatever, thinking this is going to be great. So that that's all seemed safe. The next thing I get, I tap my shoulder, get in the minibus now and get out of here. 
It's like, what, what about my drums and my drum tech and all the crew? It's like, leave the crew, we'll come back for them. We've got to get you lot out of here now. So I got in this minibus and Hennigan, Jared Hennigan wasn't in it. So it turned out that he'd, there's about 200 uniformed, like armed security guards that looked like riot police that we suddenly saw that were getting bust in. And, um, and they were there for us because of this, this incident with a flag. So we're shitting ourselves now. So we get in this minibus, go back to this weird hotel, lock the door, phone up my mate Trig, who does all our social media from, from my old company, said, get rid of my name and rid of Bloodhound Gang off all my social media accounts, please do me a favour. Phone up hell on my wife, said, something weird's happening, I'm not sure what, but I think we might be in trouble. Um, but I'm fine, I'm coming home tomorrow. Barricaded my door, I went to sleep. Woke up in the morning, we were meant to be flying home. Went downstairs into breakfast, um, there's lots of worried people running around and promoting and stuff. Saw Jared, he'd been arrested that night. They came to his room at two in the morning, kicked the door down, arrested him, drove him out into the woods, threatened him. Um, he uh, said something about um, insulting Putin or whatever. Uh, and he demanded a translator. So they said, okay, we're going to re-arrest you in Moscow because we had to fly to Moscow to get home. So he was shaking about it and... Got on this minibus, went back, went to the Sochi airport, wherever it was. And as we pulled in, we started getting bottles thrown at us and rocks and bricks and stuff from this angry mob that were in in the um, car park of the, of the airport. It's like New Key Airport, like a tiny holiday resort airport. And I'm like, what the heck's going on? So I'm on the floor crapping myself. I've never seen anything like this in my life. The driver starts shitting himself and floors it and pulls in around the back, sort of, around the security cordon, and we all tip out and get in this little backstage room. Um, and then we're told we're going to go check in one at a time with two security guards. And we had our own security guards as well um, that we always bring on tour. So I, got, I checked in first, no, no issue, uh, and then came back into this room backstage, back, you know, airside, whatever you yeah. call it. Uh, and then I sort of sat there having teas and coffees and stuff. Suddenly the door got kicked down and I don't know how many Cossacks with bullwhips and sticks, full uniform, came barging in and just beat the living shit out of everyone in the room. And I, <laughs> and like Dan Carter loves this, I escaped through the only door which I had my eye on. I, you know, you just know something's yeah. off. I'd had my eye on it and I escaped through it. And on the other side, I held the handle so nobody else could get through it. L listen to the, like... R2-D2 and C3PO, C3PO listening to the screams of the trash compactor yeah. when all the mates, you know, when people were being squashed. And, um, and I was like, listen to this carnage going on. And I just didn't open, I didn't want to open this door. And inside this room I was in was all the, um, all the Learjet pilots, all the private plane pilots, always having sushi or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I was like, sorry, boys. <laughs> and I ordered this door, this carnage going on the other side. And then I hid, I hid in this cupboard. A wardrobe thing. I can't remember how long I was hidden for. And then I remember our guitar, our monitor guy, or guitar tech, came running through that room and got onto the apron and tried to run to a plane and tried to get up the stairs of a plane to get out of there. And he was rugby tackled by a policeman. And then they had to give him CPR and um, medical attention because he had a, a mini heart attack or something. I can't remember what happened to him, but he wasn't in a good way at all. He had an oxygen mask on and he just tried to get the hell out of there. And when it all calmed down, I went back into that room and the tables were turned everything smashed up uh, turned out Jared had given them as good as they got and beat them away and, and um, had a proper fist fight with them all um, Dan and Dan and, and was in a corner kind of like crapping himself uh, and um, 
Yeah, and then that, that's still on YouTube. You can look at it. If you type in Bloodhound Gang Russia, you can see these Cossacks. They filmed it with head, head cameras. Fuck, really? Yeah, about three seconds of it. And then they, they start by burning an American flag. So that's that. So now we all decide we're, we're, our life's in danger. So we all get together and we decide to phone all our embassies. So we phone the British embassy, me and Dan. We've got Canadians, Germans, one Russian is our translator. You're um, legit scared right now, yeah? Shit himself, yeah, like a dog going to the vet type, crapping himself, looking around. And the Americans. And the Americans had to put... I remember someone putting an uh, iPhone on the table. All the Americans had to get round and um, renounce their... Um, their rights to privacy under the whatever amendment yeah. before the US consulate would talk talk through them. And then we, me and Dan phoned um, the, the, I phoned the Moscow embassy. It was closed. It said, if you like, it's Sunday afternoon. If you feel like your life's in danger or you're in danger in, a, in, in Russia, call this number. So I hit this number and it goes through to GCXQ in London. And I got put through this woman called Barbara and she knew all about it. And she was talking to the Americans, Fuck. and they were talking to the Canadians and they were coming up with this plan. So the plan was they're going to close the airport. So they closed the airport, they evacuated all the holidaymakers, cancelled all the flights. The only people in that airport were us, I don't know how many of them was, probably 18 of us, maybe, I don't know, including the promoter and the promoter rep, two our security guards, an armed guy from the airport and he's gun out. I've never seen a gun in my life. Like This guy, his pistol out, is in his hand, walking around with it in his hand, looking out the window blinds, looking at windows. And then the only thing in that room was the TV showing Russia Today, which is like Sky News. And the headline news was Bloodhound Gang held up in Sochi Airport. And it was going through to Cape Burley, that there, you know, out, outdoor, outside broadcast correspondent who was in the perimeter of the airport with a baying mob. And so we were seeing that, and then our images of our face were coming up on the TV, and these people walking around with clipboards talking about Bloodhound Gang, and so, oh my goodness, what's happening? It's like turning into a proper diplomatic story, this. And then, then our translator was telling us what that story was saying, and it was that we'd been, we were going to be arrested for inciting a riot, we're getting deported, um, but there's an, there's an angry armed mob coming into the airport. And then we get a call from Barbara saying, she told me to put my iPhone charger around my belt, credit cards in one sock, cash in another, passport somewhere no one can find it, find yourself somewhere to hide, get, look for air conditioning ducts, get away from the Americans, keep you and Dan away from the Americans, it's the Americans that they want, keep yourself away from them and you'll be safe. Uh, I'm going for a dinner break now, here's somebody else and a colleague in the past, but we'll call you every half an hour. And she did, she called us every half an hour, or someone from GCHQ did. And then they all talked together as well, all the embassies. Um, but they knew exactly what was going on. She was advising us that at one point she said, um, and Harry from Bloodhanger, I was just asleep throughout all this. I was absolutely shitting myself. Yeah. This is, we, we were in there for nine hours, I think. And, and at one point, like, these people had broken through the, through the fence. and they, they, So the, uh, the Russians have to protect us. So the Russians are sending a SWAT team to protect us. The next thing you look out, there's loads of commandos in black lying on the stomachs with, you know, machine guns or whatever and automatic rifles protecting us. So, thinking, what... Because he put the flag down his yeah, pants. Yeah, like, what are they expecting? But it's been all over the media. It just got... Yeah, goals, traction. Yeah, yeah tra it just blew up. And um, so we tried to get a Learjet and, um, and phoned up Universal Music and they tried to send us a jet and then that got turned back. 
Uh, and then they tried to divert a flight to get us in. And then at one point, it got to White House level, apparently, and they were all about bringing a helicopter in from a US Air Force base to get us out. Um, but that had been a real diplomatic thing to fly into Russia um, with a US chopper. Yeah. But it was getting re- proper, proper serious diplomatic thing. And then they managed to divert a flight. It landed. They took 18 people off it. They took. They put us on it. So they put us in this uh, little, you know, the, the the bus that brings you to the steps. And we were all told to lay on our stomachs so we don't get shot. And we, even that, it's all about bribes to bribe ourselves out of there. Then we even got to the, got to there. The guy wouldn't open the doors until we gave him all our float, like whatever we had. We just gave him all our money, all of us. And then he opened the door and let us on the plane. And then when we got on the plane, everybody on the plane knew who we were. Flew in, it flew into Moscow, which is about an, an hour flight. And I remember as we were flying into Moscow, I remember saying to Jared, I sat next to him, everything about Jared is shtick. Like, he just cannot be serious about anything. I was like, are you worried about this or not worried? He's like, yeah, a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. <laughs> <laughs> Time to joke. And then, and then we landed, and then the doors of the plane opened. And as we walked off, those like special agents who looked like FBI, and they called for the three members of Bloodhound Gang of American, and they called for them, and they took them off in, into a different place. And all I was thinking about was this is pussy riot. I'll never see him again. And then we all got frog marked off, and our stage manager said to me, "We're going to get freed." I, was like, I don't want to be free. We'll, we'll get killed if we we're out in the street in Moscow now. We're going to get lynched. So we all got phone marched through the airport and people were shouting and screaming at us, uh, the public. And then we got into this lift and the lift went up and, and as the doors opened, we were behind bars in Moscow airport jail. <laughs> Fucking hell. Can't believe this is happening. And, uh, and we were all, all handing our passports and all kinds of stuff happened. We were on the phone constantly to, to the embassy, to GCHQ. And they just kept saying to us, look, they're letting you use your phones. You're fine. You're absolutely fine. And then Jason was calling me, and then one of, somebody who worked for me um, was calling me, and my wife was trying to get through to me constantly. I just kept saying to her, I'm going to be a bit late, the flight's been delayed, but don't worry. And then Dan's wife, Tara, called my wife and said, have you seen, have you, have you seen what's going on? Have you seen the, the, the news? It's all over Sky News and BBC News and stuff like that. People were talking about this incident in, in Russia. So she was crapping herself. And then after, probably after about an hour, they said, you're going to get deported. You're getting deported to the, the, the Europeans. There's five of us from Europe, three Germans and me and Dan. Where do you want to go? You can go by Istanbul or you can go to Prague. I'm like, Prague, anywhere that's got an EU flag, which is why I'm so such a Remainer. <laughs> I fuck Brexit. It's like, anywhere that's got an EU flag, just fly it. I want to go there. So we, they got us on a flight to Prague. And at that point, we hadn't collected our bags from the Moscow flight. And then me and Dan suddenly saw that on this trolley. So I remember just running up to it, drop-kicking it. And I got this big yellow North Face bag, grabbing that. And there's no luggage tags on it or didn't go through security. And we were, now the Russians were our friends. They had to get us on this flight. Yeah. So we're just charging through the airport, like backstage, opening doors that you're not allowed to go through. No security, no passport control, none of that. Just got to the flight. And then um, I remember I phoned Jason and said, um, we're getting on this flight to, to Prague. We're all okay. And then they strap you in and they read you, sort of, you know, you've been deported type thing. And that's it, got out in Prague. Me and Dan got in a hotel that the British Embassy booked for us, barricaded ourselves in, shared a room because we were shitting ourselves. And then flew in the next morning, landed in London and, and looked at Sky News and BBC News and it's all over the entertainment page. Like, fucking hell. <laughs> And then, and then as our car drove us to Leon City, as we get, you know, the Mercedes dealership on yep. London Road, just got there, Barbara called me from GCHQ. 
She went, oh, I'm glad you're home. Um, say hi to Helen and the kids. I was like, how do you know her? She said, oh, I'm tracking your phone. Make sure you get back all right. Fuck. How that? So, yeah, it was nuts. Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, Jared tells it way better than I do. He puts a lot more danger in it. Yeah. But uh, it was it was crapping assholes. That's yeah. That's yeah. That's serious shit. Isn't it? it was serious. It was real at the point. There's one point where I was really really shitty. When the, I remember Paul Core and Jared and two of the people. Planning what we're going to do when these people invade, when they when they get to the gate, how we're going to take them down. And I was like, well, I don't want any part. Of that. I'm not taking anyone down. What are you talking about? Okay, I'm not getting yeah. involved in a fight. I've never been in a fight in my life. What yeah. are you on about? And it's like you've got no choice. Ian. this is going to happen. We're, going to, we're about to be attacked. With people with guns. And I, it's like it suddenly got really real. And just yeah, I was just walking around. I couldn't sit down for hours. Just just crapping myself. Yeah, it's nuts. Fuck. But it shows you, though, if you're in trouble, we have got resources that do help. Yeah. Like GCHQ is it's unbelievable, or whatever it's called. Yeah. 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 Been, yeah. <laughs> Tracking every single move you make and know what you're doing and know the context around it and trying to get you out of there. It's pretty amazing. Fucking really. hell, mate. Yeah. That's a story. Yeah, it's good. It's a little <laughs> story. Yeah, so it went on a bit long. <laughs> All right.
uh, pulling it back to the playlist then, mate. Yeah. Um, a favourite song from your hometown. You've gone country, not county. Oh, is it town? I thought it was country. County. Oh, wow. See, it's quite hard to get country. You can get county and country. You can. Up you won't be the first, if mate. If you're a drummer. There's, proper there's, drummer. There's been a few people that have gone for country. But you know what? Let's talk country because your song yeah. choice is fucking brilliant. Yeah, I'm going to... Well, so if it's country, uh, I'm going to go in for a freako by Jesus Jones. Which, this is a strong thing to say, and, and it's easily debatable, and and I could be very wrong, but for me personally, it's the greatest debut single ever recorded by a band. For me personally. It's up there. You can't, for me personally, I've never heard anything that tops it. First record I ever danced to at a pink toothbrush. Out. Really? Setting your stall out, this is yep. who we are. All, everything that went around with it, from Vision Streetwear, bum bags, to Slam City Skates, to yep. skateboarding, to all the culture around it. To, yeah, it's just, it's, it just changed me, Jason, and all our mates' lives, that song. We, and we ended up becoming really, you know, massive mates for them. But, you know, it was, that, that was it. You know, that was it. That was, this can't get any better, this song. Yeah. 100 quid it cost to record, whatever it was. He, he, I'm sure Ian said that yeah. when, uh, when, when he come on here. Um, and so I think at this point then, um, because that was, was that the first single it was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah of course it was. Yeah, single, as yeah. you said. Um, on food, anyway. On yeah. food, yeah. And then, obviously, the, 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 the album uh, that, that, that followed. Liquidizer, yeah. Mm. So... Let's talk about that American invasion then mm. that you, you you sort of uh, touched upon earlier. Yeah. So, so I remember going to Florida as a kid. Well, I say as a kid, everyone takes a piss at me for this. We went to Disneyland with mum and dad when we were 21. I don't think that's odd. Lots of people think that's really odd. And we still call ourselves kids at this point. Because there was the kind of the sport kids that went to Florida yeah, we when I was young. We weren't sport. Like, that's all. Yeah. That, that when I was at school... <laughs> Fucking 21. Yeah, 21. We're going to Florida with a Jesus Jones t-shirt on. Oh, we might have been 20. Yeah. But yeah, we were, we were, you know, a lot of people consider that to be far too old to be A, hanging out with your parents. Yeah. B, going to Florida, not giving the mum and dad any money. Yeah. Because you didn't have any. Yeah. Because we I don't know what we were doing at that time. We, yeah. Me and Jason were selling clothes out of a bag in yeah. Tottenham Court Road. Um, no, to, I was selling clothes to prostitutes in Soho. For a company called Sleeves that used to right. go around and sell clothes out of a bag. That's my job. I had no money at all. Yeah. And uh, we just moved to London. And, um, yeah, and just your parents go, oh, we'll take you to Florida. Because <laughs> he's Mickey Mouse, age 20. <laughs> <laughs> but we just felt nothing wrong with it. It's like, yeah, cool. It's just about the right time to do it. Yeah. We're in our prime. It's <laughs> your <laughs> <laughs> prime sort of Mickey Mouse time. Just oh, didn't seem odd at the time. And, um, but I remember seeing this kid in this shopping mall. We went to the shopping mall and, and, and we got talking to this local kid. And we thought it was uber cool because he's from America and never been to America before. And I remember me and Jason Giles, my younger brother, telling him about Jesus Jones. And um, you, there's this band that's going to come from England that's going to blow you away. It's like, because he's a skater, this kid, that's when we got talking to him. Yeah. And you know, if you're into skating, this is it. This is the music. This is it. And then, yeah, then I think three, four years later, he, he probably understood what he meant when yeah. they became massive there. But yeah, it was, it was nuts. And, and, um, they they never got clumped together as a scene in the UK. Like Jesus Jones came out of that like so that Grebo or mm-hmm. what you call scene. Um but they they never sort of felt part of that once they had a pop sort of because they were successful straight away. Yeah. I mean, you know, I first saw them at the UEA and then at the forum, Town Country Club doing three nights, whatever. Yeah. They've gone from Bullengate to that in six months. Yeah, that's not bad. Not bad at all. So, you know, it's really successful. 
Um, on, on you know a little indie label through like, food that went through EMI obviously, yeah. but it's, it's incredible the way it went for them. And um, but they they never sort of felt part of a scene to me. And obviously they're hanging out with Wonder Stuff and EMF and all that stuff. But in America, it felt probably a good idea, but at least by the media to pigeonhole them all together as this sort of mm. invasion. And they all sort of came over together, Poppies and them and EMF. But they just mates, just like uh, you know, talking about Carrie and, and, mm. and bands we talked with before. You know, we sort of see ourselves as part of a scene. You just mates, you see each other a lot. Yeah. And um, but we definitely loved all those bands. The Wonder Stuff were one of my favourite bands. Jesus Jones were from America. It's you know Faith No More and Chili Peppers and Jane's Addiction and mm. BC Boys. But we had our own scene to compete with that yeah. at that point. The EMF went to number one, right? So did Jesus Jones. Yeah, right yeah. here, right now went to number one. Oh, did that guy number one as yeah. well? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, EMF went to number one first with Unbelievable. And then, yeah, Jesus Jones followed with Right Here, Right Now within about six months. And then he got used for the Clinton presidential campaign. It was massive. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was nuts. Yeah, and they, and they all, you know, you pick up Melody Maker or... I used to love the, the cover of Melody Maker. I had a British band that did yeah. well somewhere. It's, it's like how you feel after a Champions League night yeah. or an England night the day after. I love yeah. it. I love reading the press if you've yeah. done well, like, you know, in the World Cup. yeah. And it always felt like that. I remember there was a picture of, G- of EMF in the desert, and I've always wanted to go to a desert. Yeah. And uh, and and Derry had his hat on fire. His hat, he had a straw hat on it. It was on fire. Yeah. And there's a whole that whole story about them getting arrested by the local sheriff in Louisiana and having guns put to the head and all this stuff. Better than like my Russia story, but ten times better. Yeah. So they've got all these tall stories now from deserts and you know places where you just want to go. And it yeah. just felt really romantic. Like, you know, just what you always yeah. want to do, just all what to do is an American tour. And um, yeah, but we knew all these people. We used to hang out with them all the time in Camden. You yeah. know, best mates. I remember going on a, on a surfing holiday down to Newquay with James and uh, Mary from Apollo 440 and um, all in the back of my mate's van. And we all just stayed in my mate's van and had the best week just, you know, trying to surf in Cornwall. Yeah. I'm surfing with, with, with the singer, with James from EMF, but at that point, he was just a good mate of ours. He yeah. just, you know, and. Um, yeah, it's weird how things come around. Yeah. And they really tried to help us. Like Ian Bacon nearly got us a publishing deal with EMI, Toshiba EMI in, in Japan. Oh, really? So massive out there. So he, he handed our demos out. He produced our demos um, to start with and, and tried. Ian really tried to help us and Mike yeah. later on. Um, yeah. So when it came to our time and our first gigs, like when we got signed at the Water Rats, I'm sure Jason told you a story of how we got signed with A. Moist Bush. Um yeah, yeah, we they were all there. That that's our crowd. Is all the EMF guys, the Jesus Jones guys, the Apollo Four Forty people from the Wonder Stuff. Yeah, and so we had this really sort of cool collective of mates that yeah. that we just supported us. Yeah, and um, yeah, and wanted to see us do well. I, I honestly think I, I was I was talking to to, to Rob DeBank about this yesterday. That I think Miles Hunt's one of the greatest British songwriters. Oh yeah, like, yeah, he's totally. He's a poet. Absolutely, um, yeah. incredible lyrics and the. Pop hooks in the one stuff. Yeah, it's incredible, absolutely incredible. Mind blowing. And it, we, so me and Jason had a studio that we, we we started a business in Shoreditch off the Dole with a Princess Trust grant. And um, up until recently, I was an ambassador for the Princess Trust. Um, uh, and um, and and we started this little business called Studio Alien Studios, whatever it's called, in Phipps Street on Curtain Road. It's now Prep Monger, I think. Yeah. She knows where that place has gone. And um, nobody else was in Shoreditch. No one. Apart from over the road was our, was Tank, who became our manager. Yeah. And Miles, who had a record 
deal, a record label through Polydor um, called For All The Right Reasons. And the Wonder Stuff had just finished. Um, Miles in, I think Miles in Vent. Vent, yeah. With, with mine. Gilks was in no, that, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Gil, no, Gil, no Gilks was in, in We Know Where You Live. We Know Where You Live. Um, and so we gave a demo to Tank and he came to see us at the Water Rats gig. And we had another manager at the time. And anyway, we ended up signing to London Records after a big label chase. Yeah. We, we had this, it was an amazing time for us. Lots of labels throwing lots of money at us. And, but because we had our own studio, it really helped. Um, so all the labels came down to our studio in Shoreditch. He's like, wow, these, these, this band are amazing. They're doing their own demos. Jason's producing it. They're doing demos for yeah. other bands and making records. Jason made a, a record for creation for a band called 18 Wheeler. Which one? Uh, it was called... Grease? Mm, yeah. 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 And it's amazing, that album. Yeah. Um, so that really helped us get signed because obviously it's got another string cheap mm. bow here. And, um, and I remember Miles and Tank coming down. I mean, it was in a basement in Shoreditch in, a, in one of those warehouses. Mm-hmm. I remember Miles and Tank coming down and I had no idea they were coming down. They just knocked on the door and Jason did up the door for them. And it's me and Mark and Jason there... Um, and, De- and, and Steve, our old bass player, we were massive Wonderstuff fans. And Miles Hunt just walks down the stairs of our studio, totally unexplained why he's there. And then Tank introduces him as Miles, my, my co-founder of our record label. And um, we're over the road and we've heard these great things about your band. And, um, can we hear some stuff? And next thing we're sat in our little studio making a cup of tea for Miles Hunt, thinking this is nuts. This is like... Properly meeting your legend. Yeah. I'd never met him before. Yeah. I'd seen him at gigs and stuff and wanted to approach him, but didn't yeah. want to. And the next thing is, sat there you know, critiquing our band and saying they'd like to sign us. So then they put an offer in for us the next day through Polydor. And we went to see Lucy and Grange because our whole thing was, what if Miles gets bored of this and wants to become a rock star again? And what if yeah. Tank gets hit by a bus? Yeah. Who at Polydor was going to get behind us? And Lucian was, well, I will. You know, I like your little band. I like your little studio. You've got bits and bobs going on. And we're like, well, yeah, but who are you? Yeah. And they ended up running Universal Music. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, but we didn't know at the time who was yeah. the head of Polydor. Yeah. But we just didn't think he got us. We thought he was just sort of saying that because Tank yeah. had told him to. So we ended up signing for London Records. And then anyway, anyway, we ended up being managed by Tank. Yeah. Two years later. Because Tank managed the Neds. Right. And his brother is Martin from the Wonder Stuff. And so they're the Giltses. And, um, so that's how we got to know all, all that lot. Uh, right. and, um, yeah. Um, yeah, and they became a big part of our lives. Martin ended up being our co-manager for a long time until, unfortunately, he was passed, passed away, uh, which is a, a horrific day. Um, but yeah, he was Martin man- managers for a long time. So we see that lot all the time. Yeah. And that's become good mates with Malcolm and obviously Miles and everyone. Yeah. Yeah, nuts. Amazing. And Martin was one of my favourite drummers. Like, you know, this is a dude that's headline reading. Please just, just think. I've got a set of his sticks. Yeah. I've got a set of his sticks from the Winner Where You Leave gig at the Wire Club. Uh, and, and he was proper nice, dude. He was such a lovely bloke. He's such a calm, so calm. And me and Jason are far from calm. We're all. <laughs> Martin's just can't be right down. Yeah. You know, yeah. I always remember the Gulf War broke out and we had to fly to America that day, the day, the day that they invaded uh, Iraq the yeah. second time. Um, which is a, which is tomorrow, which is my wife's birthday, right. March twentieth. Me and Helen had gone away. We were staying in Bath in some hotel, and we were flying to LA the next day. And turned on the news, and we just Blitzkrieg, whatever it's called. We yeah. bombed the hell out of that. 
poor place. And um, I remember phoning Martin and going, you sure it's safe for us to fly to LA tomorrow? He's like, don't believe everything you read, Ian. Don't believe everything you read. Like, All right, fine then. Just yeah. calms it right down with. Brilliant. Yeah. But yeah, he was wrong about that. The war did start. Yeah. yeah I did believe everything we read and it turned out. But put like, your mind at rest at yeah, the time, didn't he was, it? He was a calming bloke. And he'd just sit there at gigs, just piss himself yeah. at me, just about how you know, much I struggled playing certain films. And, <laughs> and I used to just get so you know, wound up. There's Martin looking at me from yeah. the side of the stage. Because yeah. I used to, you know, he became a really good mate and he managers, but you still see him as Martin Gilt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, one of my favourite bands of all time. Well, let's talk about your favourite band of all time. Track seven. Now, I think Jason did choose this track because he thought it's never been played on UK radio before. He played it when we done a radio show. He came and right. done a Boogaloo radio yeah. show and literally just went into a wankathon of air drums and yes. was just losing his shit. Yeah. Um, track seven, a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. Yeah, and this is this is the problem with Rush. At least 70 million people do know this because they've yep. sold... 70 million records. So you'd imagine every Rush fan has heard it. So since I've met Jason and he's banged on at me about how good <laughs> Rush are, I watched a documentary yeah. on Prime. Is it on Amazon Prime yeah, or yeah. Netflix? Yeah, on the stage it is, yeah. Really fucking good. Yeah, it's and amazing. Proper nice dudes. Yeah, they come across so well, don't they? Well like? normal. Yeah, they're probably really normal. Yeah. Yeah, Rush, Rush is it. So for all my mates, the one thing that binds us all together, no matter what music you're into, me and Jason have somehow got them into Rush. Yeah. Somehow, slowly. Yeah. It's taken a long time with some. It's take, It's been instant with others. Yeah. When we met um, one of our best mates, Dave, at college. First thing we had in common was Rush. Yeah. And it, Rush is always the thing that set you apart because it's nerdy, geeky, and only sort of nerdy, outcasty kids got it. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I love that about it. And... You know, being a drummer, Neil Pitt is the greatest drummer of all time for me. For a lot of people, he's the best drummer that's ever lived, especially in rock music, anyway. Dave uh, Grohl's a big fan, isn't he? Yeah, massive fans. And, and everyone seems to be. And then Rush got to a certain stage about 10, 15 years ago where people had grown up with them like us were suddenly in positions of power. Like they were either writing South Park or they were doing films yeah. or movies. So yeah. suddenly Rush started prop, cropping up in yeah. popular culture because 40-somethings were now creating stuff. Yeah, yeah, love yeah. Them. yeah. So that was quite weird. Like, I love you, man, and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, which is a great film, which has got you know, a very Rush, yeah. big Rush part in it. And um, so you started seeing Rush a lot. and then, But they've always never been credible... For, they've always been credible, but they've never they've never been known in the mainstream. Yeah. But they could all, you know, when I first saw them, we did four nights at Wembley Arena, which is the biggest arena in Southeast. Yeah. Uh, and no one ever, no one ever heard of them. You know, it's not like they're on the radio. Yeah. And they had one song on the radio in Britain, which is a song called Spirit of Radio, which is their biggest hit. But there's a period of rush which goes from that album, probably the album before it, up until this album, which is Power Windows. Which so is, how synthy is this album? This album is as synthy as it got. So right. this is what I loved about Rush is they they fine about wearing their influences on the sleeves. So they became really heavily influenced by the Police and by white man reggae mm -hmm. and new wave. And they're, they're a rock band from mm -hmm. Canada, like a heavy metal band. Yeah. But they got really into the Police. They started becoming dressing really new wave with yeah. like pencil leather ties and fringes yeah. and blazers and didn't yeah. look like a metal band. Oh, they looked super cool. Yeah. And um, and then they started introducing synths. Genie Lee, the bass player, who's an amazing bass player, would play synths. 
and he started out playing Taurus pedals, bass pedals, and and then on this album, Power Windows, it was 1987, so it was as synthy as you're gonna get. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, and then that that's peak synth for them. Yeah. And then they had an album after that called um, Hold Your Fire, I think it was the next one. I can't remember. No, Grace of Depression, I think, which is quite synthy. Um, or Grace of Depression might have been before it. I'm not sure. But that whole period to me was amazing. Yeah. So Tom Sawyer at the start of that from an album called Moving Pictures. So Tom Sawyer is probably their most famous song. That's, yeah, yeah. A modern day warrior, that song. Made do do ba down yeah. with incredible drumming in it. Do 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 bow. So everyone air drums to that. Yeah. And uh, I think in I Love You Man, they're all doing that. There's like yeah. three amazing fills it does in the whole of it. And the end, it's got the best ending. There's a song called Limelight. At the end of Limelight, it's like, bow. He does like a gay league sort of baseball. Yeah. Like a double kick, bow, flam at the end of it. And he's like, fuck. That's so <laughs> amazing. Uh, and so the end of Limelight is as good as it gets. Yeah. But this song, it sounds enormous. It's synthy. It's, it's 80s. It's everything that the 80s were. Yeah. But it's a rock band underneath it yeah. that know their chops. Yeah. And then it's got this solo in it, which I love it when solo is just all... You know, when someone on Marcia deconstructs a lemon meringue. Yeah. And it what's the point? All you want to do is put it back together. Of and that's the best solo to me. You de- deconstruct everything, then it all comes back together and yeah. you get a big regroup. Yeah. And it's like, Da-da! that's what a good solo should do. <laughs> and this does that. It all falls apart. Yeah. Everyone is doing their own thing. Yeah. It sounds like, but they're not. Yeah. And it all comes back and rejoins and it's a big, like, yes. But the drums in it are just nuts, absolutely nuts. There'll be a Spotify so playlist accompanying this, so everyone can go and check that out now. Yeah, but I would everything that you've just described about the kind of progression through the symphony is all really spoke. They go into quite, they go into that a lot on that documentary, don't yeah, they? Yeah, documentary is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And like Billy Corgan's on it, and Trent yeah. Res- is Trent Reznor on it? I think yeah, he is, isn't Trent he? Yeah. It, yeah. And uh, everyone loves Rush. When you get to the heart of it, everyone admires them. Like, yeah. All the bands that you're into, you probably think like the Beatty Boys. Yeah. You think the Beatty Boys? Rush. Yeah. And what's quite you just expect them. To not be just, they just seem like really nice nerds. Yeah, just expecting to be wizards yeah. in some yeah. you know, sort of, I don't know, bat cave somewhere. Yeah, but they're just three blokes from Toronto who are brilliant and then brilliant, brilliant at what they do. Um, oh, I mean, I, to, when I first saw them, it was a little disappointing actually. Yeah, it sounded awful. And and the song that opens this album, that Marathon's on, is a song called Big Money. And it's like, big man, he goes around the world. Like, really, you either love his vocals or you can't stand yeah. it. It's really high pitch. And it's got to start, there's little sims and these backing tracks going off and samplers everywhere. Yeah. There's only three of them, but it's got to sound amazing for that to come across well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, and it, I remember just watching him do a line check before it, thinking, fuck. Because at that point, we, I'd never seen Rush move. It's not like today where you know they're for breakfast because of yeah. Twitter. They, they didn't make a video, they never made a video. They're like yeah. Metallica, they never made a video. So they made a video for Big Money, and that's the first time I'd really seen him move. But right. I'd never seen him in real life. I then just saw Rush walk onto stage and just lost it. It's like, yeah. that's how Rush walk. <laughs> now, you, now you know everything about any band, do you? Yeah. You literally know what they had for dinner. Yeah, of course. And um, it sort of spoiled all that mystique, in a way. Yeah. Um, but at that point, there's so much mystique, especially around Rush. Like, yeah. How can these three blokes sell this place out four nights? Yeah. No one's ever heard of them. And we're, we're there, we, we call it Rush Day. With our mum and dad, there's about 15 of us. Um, and we got to Wembley Readers, April 18th and 19th. And Jason had got a ticket for the next night. Some, some coach coming in, Loistoft in Suffolk, where we used to live. Yeah. He got to get a coach, he come down. But we'd all got our tickets for the first night as well. And then the second night, 
hours serving fish and chips in this burger bar that me and Jason ran, the Southwall Pier, and went back home. And I said, I can't believe Jason's going to see Rush tonight. So my mum and dad were like, let's go. Let's find out Wembley back before the internet. Yeah. Let's find out Wembley Arena. So my mum got on the phone to Wembley Arena and he said there's tickets left in the door. So we all got in mum and dad's car. It's a 200-mile journey. Drove down to Wembley. Walked in for the drum, the drum part of the first song, Big Money. And then straight away across the arena floor, we saw Jason, like 15,000 people or whatever. And uh, my mum and dad saw that, that, that down as one of the greatest moments of, of their life. Oh. Like, good, spontaneously going to see Rush again and seeing Jason over there, like, waving to him. What cool parents. Oh, they're super cool. Yeah, they're amazing, mum and dad. Super cool people. Yeah, they did that a lot. We used to go see... They came to see Van Halen with us and David yeah. Roth. They've seen Jesus Jones many of the times, BC Boys. Brilliant. Yeah, Faith No More. Yeah, and then a bit of every A gig that, you know, we've yeah. all seen all the London shows and all the Norwich shows, which are local stuff, yeah. Oh, amazing, amazing. Mate. But yeah, it was, it, it, it was a little bit disappointing because it came on, it didn't sound great, and the yeah. sound got better and better. But um, by the time we got to Marathon, it was like it was bloody amazing. And then we had a song on our last album called Rush Song, which was a hit. At the time, we didn't think it was a hit because it went in at number 28. Yeah. And I killed for number 28. Oh, so Mike, can you imagine? But the record label were like, it's got it number 28. You had a top 10 last time. Yeah. So, but, but what you would have sold to get 28 then to I what, know. What, what 28 probably. How many you'd have to sell yeah, to get to 28? Tens of thousands. Yeah. But I remember Guilty Martin phoned me up saying, um, You're going to see Rush tonight? I was like, I know we are. Never are you going to meet him? That's a terrible impression of Martin Gilks. Yeah. So you're going to meet them? It's like, oh, You're going to meet Rush? It's like, What? How? It's like, Because they're doing promo, it, we're, on the same, we're on the same label, we're on Warners. So uh, um, the people that did our radio promo told them all about us. So we got there, and me and Martin, and my mate Tristan and Dave, and Jason and Giles, uh, and Rich Bull, who did all our graphics, and a couple of others, we all got into me, Rush. And we were talking to them about our band, and they knew about our band, they knew about A, because they were on the same record label, and they knew about Rush Song. And I just couldn't believe, I was talking to Geddy Lee about my band, and he knew about it. And it, it blew my mind, you know, it really, just to this day, it still blew my mind. And one of, uh, two things, I've ne I'll never delete Martin from my, my phone. I've still got his, his phone number in there. Yeah. It just feels really weird to delete him, even though he's, he passed away 10 years ago now. Yeah. Uh, and I've got this photo of him outside the, that Rush gig with his denim jacket on that he had as a kid in Starbridge with a big Rush patch on the back. Oh, amazing. mate Rich Ball took. And um, it's one of the greatest photos. We're all so excited. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, you know, Martin is a you know, rock star. Yeah. And he's wearing his denim jacket to go see Rush. He's just as excited as we were. But in a sort of cool kind of Martin way. Oh, that's amazing. Because Neil Peart to him was, you know, yeah. enormous. Yeah. So, I have been gigging. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah. done a load of shows at the end of, end of last year, beginning of this year? Did, yeah, did a full sort of UK tour in November. With, yeah. With uh, Wheatus. Yeah. Which is brilliant. And, and In Me. Did, and In Me, yeah. Yep. Who, who were amazing. Yeah. Dave's an Essex boy, isn't yeah, he? he is. Yeah, he's great hanging out with that lot. They were brilliant. We, both Wheatus and In Me were great. Um, and then we did this little independent venue week tour in Jan, end of Jan, early mm -hmm. Feb, which was completely different to that tour. That tour, somehow, for some reason, unbeknown to us, we got to Shepherd's Bush Empire. Don't know how. We haven't done anything for ages. And uh, it turns out there's still people out there that want to come and see your band, which is amazing. I mean, you can't quite believe it, really. Because you've got good songs. You've got good songs, I suppose, but you, you end up... You end up being people's favourite band because you, you like what you like when you get to our age, unless you're yeah. really like Ian Baker, who's really, really into music. Yeah. And wants to discover stuff. Yeah. I'm not like that. I just, I just like Rush now. 
You know what I mean? And if something, yeah. if something sort of falls into my lap, I go, that's cool. Yeah. But I'm not actively going out seeking new bands. And I suppose it's like that for our audience. You get to a certain age, you yeah. end up with your three or four favourite bands. And if you yeah. have to be one of them, those people are always going to come and see you live. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so absolutely. It, it's quite amazing that that tour was, was packed. We played some big shows for us. And um, loved every minute of it. One of the best, the best tours we've ever done. Yeah. Dougie on bass from McFly. Yeah. Doug joined us for that tour and was was amazing. Yeah. Um, he looks fucking cool, doesn't he? Oh, Dougie is super cool. He's such a lovely bloke. So sweet. Essex on. boy as well. Essex boy. Yeah, from mm. Stanford the Hope. Yeah. From Basildon. He grew up, in, he grew up visiting Leon C a lot on the weekend and yep. probably been to the toothbrush a bunch of times. Yep. Um, but yeah, he's super cool. You know, he's a proper rock star. I know before yeah. he joined our band, his last gigs were four nights at the O2. Yeah, that'd do, wouldn't it? Yeah. But he's great, you know, lumping his own gear when he needs to and breaking it down and and all that stuff. But he's yeah. on for me playing with him is brilliant because he's he's so good. Yeah. He's so tight and solid. But he is one of the best bass players I've ever heard. Excellent. And he just jumps and goes nuts and looks like a rock star. Yeah. Acts like one. Um and he's added so much energy to the band. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a new lease of life really. Yeah. So he's, he's easy on the eye as well, isn't he? I'm sure he the is, girls yeah. are going to be uh, a, pleased a to see him good uh, looking jumping dude. around. He's a good-looking dude. He's super smooth. Yeah. Um, but he's brilliant. He's so, so funny. Yeah. Like, we've known him for a long time. Yeah. Been, yeah. been mates for a long time. He's just ace. Oh, that band are. They're all yeah. ace. Um, got a show coming up? We've got... How are we doing? We're doing... Um, we're supporting Papa Roach at yep. the Forum. I think, yeah, we're doing that. And then we've got a couple of things that we can't announce yet that need to, that need to be announced. Nice. Festivals. And then we may do something in November. We're planning now. Yeah, we had a, a German tour that we had to postpone um, uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, uh, mainly to do my health. Yeah. Um, but we postponed that until, until November. So we'll try and do something in the UK that tags onto that as well. Yeah. Because um, we've got an album that's twenty years old coming up. So, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, so it'd be yeah, it'd be great to do that. Yeah. So I think we're sort of putting that together at the moment. Wicked. Yeah, and living it, live, living it. And Hi-Fi Series came out on vinyl last year to coincide with the album with a tour, which is great. Um, yeah, it's great. Podcast coming soon, right? Yeah, what's the plan? Yeah, Excellent. lots going on. As always, always keeping busy. I suppose that's the main thing. Of course, mate. Keep our roar in somehow. Yeah. Adam. Thanks loads, man. Oh, man, thanks for having me. It's like, been brilliant. Re really enjoyed yeah. chatting, man. Thanks so much. It's always a pleasure to talk. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> To man. anyone. There you go. Another episode done. Thanks ever so much for listening. It was a real joy to sit down with Adam, a top fella, and we had a right laugh. And as you can tell, he's got great tasty music, so it made it that much easier to chew the fat. Um... Please like, love, share, retweet and all of that on the socials. And if you can subscribe on iTunes, that would be amazing. Um, yeah, and if you want another episode, then head over to the Patreon page because I put another uh, episode of this out every single week on there, which isn't for the general public, just for you Patreons. And by signing up to that, you're helping me develop this podcast and, and, and try and take it to the next level. I'm done. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time. Have a lovely week. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. 
It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, um, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Ian Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skrætter alle de der podcast og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmagle.